nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. I'd like to welcome you back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And yes, this is Leanne Meyer, and it's just me today. So um, I just uh, have been realizing that I've had a lot of thoughts about some of the people that have been on the show, and uh, some uh, just kind of wanted to peruse those with you. And then uh, just various other things that have been going on for me that I wanted to kind of uh, talk about. So this is going to be basically bits and pieces of thought. And um, I also, especially before I get started, wanted to thank all of you for continuing to listen uh, to the show. Your comments, emails, ideas, and encouragement have been wonderful. Um, I'm getting to know a lot of you by your connecting or asking to connect uh, with me on LinkedIn, which has really been fun. And uh, so I just really want to uh, encourage you to continue to do that and let me know what's on your mind about the career of nursing or the mission of nursing, depending on how you look at it. And uh, uh, especially uh, is helpful if you can contact me on uh, leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. So um, again, just this is going to be about bits and pieces of my thoughts. So Uh, One of the things I just want to express, again, my gratitude. I have so enjoyed hosting this show. Um, I'm able to talk to people I would never have met, much less being able to really uh, learn what they're doing and what they're about, and especially about aspects of nursing and nursing careers that I don't think I ever would have known about. Um, Today, as I said, I'm the only guest, and I thought I would share a potpourri of things I've been exposed to, uh, things I've gained, both positives and negatives, uh, as things have gone along with the show and just as the days of my life. So um, I've gained a lot of um, pieces of of interesting uh, lives, uh, wisdom from both uh, patients and nurses. Uh, which has been helpful. And uh, I'm just uh, reminding myself about the unquenchable passions that a widespread number of nurses carry around with them to, with that desire to help others. And even though I knew that passion in myself and I saw it in a lot of people around me, when I see really, it seems like just a huge high percentage of nurses have that feeling and certainly must be what it is that gets us through all of the really difficult times. So please feel free today to call in and share your thoughts about nursing, any gems of wisdom you have gained from your experiences with patients, coworkers, and friends and family about what nursing is all about. And the um, uh, phone uh, phone number to call in is 866-472-5792. So um, please feel free to do that. Um, I want to start with the most recent, and I'm going to kind of work my way back. So on March 25th, I had the pleasure of hosting Donnie Cl- Bonnie Clipper, 
who's the vice president of innovation for the American Nurses Association, and Rebecca Love, who was the first director of nurse innovation and entrepreneurship in the United States at Northeastern School of Nursing. So certainly new pioneers in an in interesting area. Um, the show that we did was called Nurses Leading Innovation, which was such a fun show, uh, both because of the topic and, and that it's so new and energizing, but especially because both guests were so fun and so open and interactive. What I learned is that uh, um, I just uh, what I learned is that finally nurses have raised their voices and are being heard. Uh, in a way that that is saying we have great ideas and innovations uh, that actually work uh, because many times the people who have been trying to do innovations to quote unquote help us out have no idea what it is we're doing or what would in fact be helpful. Uh, what a thought, the people closest to the patients and the problems uh, they have caused by a crazy system often imposed on nurses would have the best ideas of how to solve some of those problems, create innovation on every level and keep it patient focused. The other thing that I learned from these two, they reminded me that uh, even people that I admire uh, are still basically human beings uh, who love to tell about the work that they do and um, about what they love in general. I just really wish every good fortune to any of you who are part of this group that's now striving for innovation in nursing, by nursing, uh, for a better, I think, ultimately, uh, a better patient experience. Um, I'll be so interested to see how this works out as we go forward, and um, uh, I'm hoping that some of you will maybe share some of the things that you are doing. On a less positive note, but very important to me, I just had the privilege of helping a very dear friend wind her way toward death at the hands of multiple myeloma. Um, I don't know how many of you have dealt with that. It seems like these types of cancer are coming up more and more. Uh, maybe it's that they're being diagnosed and treated, whereas maybe some of the people died earlier before that. So my friend Patty and I became close when I moved within a mile of her home at the same time that she was diagnosed with cancer again. Though we did not know each other very well, she did know me as a nurse and knew that um, she was being prepared for a stem cell transplant using her own cells. She discovered that she would need to have close support through that whole prep stage and 24-7 assistance for six weeks following the transplant. She initially asked if I could help uh, her schedule, her many, many friends that were willing to help out, but none of them had any caregiving experience of any kind. So uh, two things that I did not know at the time was how smart, determined, independent, and single-minded that Patty was. And that soon became clear that she would need much more from me than scheduling. So that was the start of a five-year-long period of deepening friendship and, and really love between us. <clears throat> when initially she was told about her diagnosis, <clears throat> she was also told that there was no hope for her. Um, she was only four foot, 10 inches tall and weighed less than 90 pounds. 
she had already had three rounds of chemo and uh, of um, cancer, three separate cancers, two of them breast. And then I actually forget what the third one was. But they told her that the chemo from the breast cancers that were done quite a few years ago were actually a direct cause of the multiple myeloma. So very disappointing to realize that what kept you alive for a period of time was now in the process of killing you. <clears throat> she um, had a she has a lot of gumption, and so she figuratively uh, took that oncologist by the lapels and said, "I am not ready to go. So figure something out." And to his credit, um, that actually he he did, and that started a roller coaster relationship with her doctor that traveled through two remissions. One of them a year, and the other one uh, six to eight months, I believe. And on, uh, I was privileged to take her to one of her last trips to see the oncologist. He had one more trick up his sleeve, and he was telling her that, that this was like the last hope that um, he would be able to help her. And she um, really understood, took it all in, wasn't in denial But she turned to me and she said, you know, if he's offering me hope, I think I have to take it. And so knowing what she was going to be going through and how difficult this could be, she decided um, she just had too much left to do and children and grandchildren, she felt, still needed her. And so she decided to um, keep on. So uh, what was amazing to me is that um, on that one of those last trips, to see the oncologist, he actually wheeled her out in her chair to the car in the freezing cold, gave her a huge hug, told her he loved her, and helped her into the car. And I don't know too many oncologists that would be willing to do that. So I think it attests to the strength of, of her personality and, and the determination that she showed him to be able to stay alive. Uh, the point of my story, however, is that those last couple of, of her weeks in the hospital, as she struggled to um, breathe around a, a lung tumor that had formed directly because of the multiple myeloma, uh, it was frequently putting up, up out up to two quarts of fluid, which sent her to the emergency room many times uh, with um, not being able to breathe. Uh, toward the end, she was on about 10 or 11 uh, liters of oxygen, which, um, you know, as we know, that's quite a lot. Um, so at any rate, I spent quite a bit of my time or as much of my time that I could with her, and that gave me an opportunity to watch modern nursing care up close and personal. I'd have to say that 90% of her nurses were just wonderful, incredible. Uh, they clearly cared for her and went out of their way to meet her medical needs, to um, bring things into her that might be more helpful for her, uh, just really very willing to help. Um, they handled any number of emergencies, room changes, chest tubes, one that she pulled out after getting a medication that she reacted badly to. She had a porta cath that was uh, often a, a challenge, and then a dizzying number of medications that they really dealt with with ease. What wasn't there was basic nursing care 101. And I guess this really surprised me um, 
in such a, a wonderful environment and such an excellent institution. Um, however, I did remember that two years ago when I was in the hospital for surgery, I had the same kind of thing happen where nobody offered uh, a washcloth to wipe her face. Um, I did see a couple of times she had a toothbrush um, in front of her that she could uh, clean up that way. But just no one seemed to be willing to um, give her a bath, change her, her linen. Um, when I was there, I would simply start doing it before I knew it. Somebody was there to help. Sometimes it'd be an aide, sometimes a student, once in a while a nurse. And uh, washing her hair was a really important thing to her, and especially because she was sweating so profusely from the difficulty of breathing. It was just such um, so hard for her to even just breathe. So it was pretty much her daughter, Jessie, and myself who washed her, changed her bed, and did all of the comfort measures. It was disheartening to me, and it proves, proved, um, produced many feelings of frustration and inadequacy. I just kept feeling like if I could be with her 24 hours a day, that I could at least handle that aspect of her care. So I guess, you know, if anybody can explain to me how this seems to have been set aside, this type of care that nurses have always been known for um, in nursing administration, how, how it has come to be that that aspect of nursing is maybe not um, top of mind and more relegated to if we have time. So to me, this is uh, the one thing that nurses do that is most likely to gain the trust and the admiration of patients and often can help make the rest of uh, the interactions with them that might be a little more difficult go more smoothly. So uh, just as an old nurse talking to those of you who are still in the trenches, please remember that even if it's not you, the nurse, who does these cares, someone needs to be assigned to this care Every shift, uh, especially with desperately ill patients, no matter how busy it is. And I hope that if administration isn't willing to provide this kind of care, that the nurses will stand up for patients and um, help them get that sort of care. So uh, I really feel like this is an area that nurses care about and that we are uniquely positioned to help with. Um, I want to send a thank you, though, to every single nurse, student, aide, respiratory therapist who went out of their way to ease Patty's last journey, and there were many of people who did that. I'm not naming the institution because I'd like that to go out to every single hospital in the United States and in the world where people are still going out of their way to provide that care, and I hope that you will feel like my my um, thank you goes out to each of you. Um, I am thinking maybe this would be a good place to take a break. And so I am going to uh, have us go to break here in just a minute. This is uh, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And you probably recognize my voice, but it's just me today just kind of working through some of the thoughts and things that have been going on for me over the last couple of months. So this is Bits and Pieces of Thought. We'll be back on the other side of about two minutes of, of um, commercial.
to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. This is Leanne, and it's just me today talking about bits and pieces of thought that I've had over the last couple of months. So um, just to let you know, too, that if you do decide to call in, be sure and let the engineer know that this that you're calling for Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. And um, if you'd like to tell us a story about the wisdom that you have gained from being a nurse or patient, uh being cared for that changed your life what in nursing helped you to realize that nursing is what you truly want to do with your life Um, perhaps there was a time when you did something that made a huge change in the life of a patient the family or maybe a fellow co-worker Uh, when did you go above and beyond in your work and how did that impact the patient and you so um, the the next show that I wanted to talk about was from March 18th And the show is called The Consequence of Communication. 
And I did the show with a nurse by the name of Dave Ball, who is currently working with the nationwide group of called Better Angels. I'm not sure if you've heard about them before, but they are actually taking on the um, challenge, I guess I'd have to say, of uh, they're covering the nation with volunteers to help people from both sides of the political divide to learn how to talk with the opposite side. And more important, how to truly listen. And since those are um, skills that I think every person on the planet could learn more, even if we do it well, I think we can always do it better. So um, I was really happy to be able to connect with Dave Ball, but also to be able to mention uh, the Better Angels as being something if you want to connect with them. Uh, there's pl- there plenty of room for more uh, volunteers to help in this area. So conflict has to be one of my favorite subjects. And every time I tell people that, they look at me like I have really grown another head or um, certainly said something that was way out of line. And the reason for it is because I have learned over the years uh, just how much uh, can be healed by simply and compassionately addressing the pain that it causes uh, with friends, family, and strangers. And the the things that we learn about um, resolving conflict is the same, no matter where you are, whether you're working with conflict in your, your work area, with um, different departments, with doctors uh, and nurses, with administration, no matter where it is that you're coming into conflict, the same exact principles apply. And unfortunately, we seem to not learn those lessons. And the mystery or the amazing thing is these same lessons or these same um suggestions of how to deal with conflict go back just about as far as there are books that wrote them wrote those things down about seems like every culture has similar kinds of things that they've learned and tried to pass down somehow or another uh, each generation seems to have to learn it again all over so in my talk with um, Dave Ball Uh, we talked about a lot of different things. Dave and I talked about the vital role trust and respect plays between caregivers uh, in the effectiveness of healthcare communication. And I think the thing that most people in the healthcare organization don't really register is how how much that negative impact has on patients. If, if we are in an environment around patients, even if we're outside their door or at the desk or who knows wherever else, um, it reminded me again, I guess, when I was sitting with Patty, you can hear everything. You can hear a lot. And to be able to hear people in conflict with each other really dramatically reduces your um, security, your um, feeling that the people that are are working with you are people that you can open yourself up to and that they will uh, take not take advantage of you and will uh, continue to treat you with great respect, no matter what kind of condition you're in. So um, that was one of the things that I thought was really important that we talked about. And um, I guess one of the instances I had where it happened was when I had gone in Uh, to have my wrist repaired. I had fallen from an eight-foot ladder on my wrist on a cement floor, 
and broken it in about seven or eight places. And I found out I was just terrified to be on the other side of the bed going in. I'd worked in OR, I'd you know, worked in almost every area of the hospital, but um, going in and, and not knowing how things were going to be on that unit, I realized was really making me nervous. So what ended up happening is I, I was hearing laughter, I was hearing positive conversations, and I found that I was so able to relax that I actually fell asleep. They had to wake me up to give me the uh, pre-op medication. So um, it, it is something to be aware of when you're finding yourself being pulled into some sort of an ar- argument that maybe doesn't have to happen uh, anywhere near patients. So uh, Dave also spoke about um, that concept of trust and respect, and that many times it can be engendered by the training we have and the people that we're working with. So he had worked as a nurse in the military, and he said there are many times when he had to walk into a crisis situation with a nurse that he maybe didn't know at all. But because of being soldiers and having received very similar type of training, they were often able to communicate very quickly and fairly easily. They were speaking the same language. They were doing the same uh, types of of, um, procedures, and that made a big difference. However, when you get into uh, probably like an acute hospital or an acute situation, you may um, not have that advantage because many times nurses can come from many parts of the world uh, their training can be quite different, and uh, even though they all take the same uh, uh, NCLEX and, and take the, the nursing boards, still, when you actually come to practice, you may tend to fall back on the things that you did before. So you could find yourself in a situation where, even language-wise, you're not able to communicate with the person that you are working with. Um, and then certainly many other behaviors and cultures and all kinds of Uh, different ways of looking at the world or dealing with the world. So I think in those situations, the best thing is as much as possible, get to know the people you are working with regularly and build bonds of friendship and trust and respect so that when you're in that situation, you don't have to start thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we've got a problem here and it's probably the patient that's going to pay for it. Um. One of the things I remember as being a real um, conflict-causing situation was being floated to another floor that you weren't familiar with and discovering that you had been given, if not all of the difficult patients, maybe most of them or many of them, and um, no one in sight when you needed help or you needed to ask a question. So every single effort that you were trying to do took longer Uh, just because you weren't familiar with the routine or with the floor or with the doctors or any of that. So I just ask that each each of you, when you're working on a unit and you have somebody coming to your unit, um, be that person who welcomes that new nurse. Um, Offer to help with dealing with the ropes of the unit. That might oftentimes is just a quick answer to a question or pointing in the right direction, um, something like that. Uh, don't do not give that individual all the toughest patients, uh, especially if you don't know their skills. You may think you're getting away with something, and I've seen nurses who actually felt like, ha ha ha, we really pulled one over on her. Um, 
but it actually, you know, backfires for you in uh, the patients paying for it and perhaps even negative feedback that gets back to your department. So if you are giving any tough, tough patients to somebody like that, uh, make sure that she or he has a go-to person to support them. Consciously believe that other people, other your coworkers, are doing their best. I think many times uh, what I've found is that we tend to judge ourselves on our, our best um, intentions, but we judge others on their negative outcome. And so, again, if we can find something, even if there's a personality conflict and you're not, uh, you're not getting along with them and you feel like you're probably never going to get along with them, find something, something that you can appreciate in them so that that can be the message that you're bringing to them is that you're willing to talk with them, uh, work on differences, and um, that you will um, not leave them in the lurch. Another issue that we talked about briefly, and actually we've talked on this show many times, and I'm very willing to talk about it even more, is the concept of bullying. Um, I have to say I've been really shocked that in this day day and age of advanced education, that some of the old ineffective behaviors from eons past are still being practiced. The things of keeping uh, knowledge or information from Certain people, um, seeing them struggle and not being willing to give them a hand or set them straight. Um, uh, People who uh, enjoy uh, making things difficult for one particular person and then sit back and either gossip or laugh about the difficulties that person is having, particularly if that person is a new person to nursing and to your floor. Um. I know that there are times that we see things in other people uh, that we think is not a correct way of doing a procedure, or um, I can remember as actually as a student nurse, I was watching a um, charge nurse that was putting in a Foley catheter in a um, long-term care facility and uh, did not, it was a very elderly lady, I think she was in her 90s, and apparently had a lot of difficulty with urinating, but did not want to have an indwelling catheter. And so they were um, straight capping her fairly frequently. And the the nurse that did it uh, used no gloves, even though we offered gloves to him, um, gave no instruction to the patient. She was a little bit in a dementia mode and um, a little bit combative. Uh, She was just so tiny, it would have been so easy to hurt her uh, if we were not able to get her her buy-in or um, have her uh, work with us. And just so many aspects of that just seemed so very wrong to me. And so I, at the time, I was a student and pretty, pretty much not comfortable with conflict and um, approaching somebody. So I did end up going to my instructor who then did have the conversation. But so many times it seems like as as little as 1% of nurses are willing to actually talk with another nurse who's doing something that you think appears unsafe or questionable. Um, I, um, I, I I, I do understand that from the standpoint many people... Um, 
just feel like, oh, uh, just let it go by, um, uh, pretend I didn't see it. Um, it'll be fine. Nothing is going to happen. Uh, that'll be bad. But a lot of that is just our reluctance to go to a place of conflict. And a lot of that is because we don't actually know how to deal with conflict. And so um, these things just keep going on and they keep getting worse or perhaps causing um, problems on the unit, uh, bad feelings maybe between people, the person who's doing it, what you think incorrectly may notice that you're giving them an attitude or um, they have a feeling from you that something's not quite right, but because you're not explaining what it is, they're just guessing what it could be that you're upset about. So um, I guess the thing I always used to tell my students is when you think about somebody being unhappy with how you are doing, would you rather that that nurse uh, came and talked to you or went and gossiped with a bunch of the other coworkers and maybe laughed or um, spent time in the break room discussing you until you walk in and everything gets silent? Or would you prefer they went to your boss and had your boss come back and talk to you? Uh, I'd say about 99% of the time, my students would always come back with, oh, absolutely, they would prefer somebody to come and talk with them. And when I would turn that around and say, is that something that you do for others when you're upset and there's dead quiet uh, in the classroom every single time I bring it up. So I know it's something that this is probably one area that could uh, be hugely influential in um, tapping down bullying by being that person who has the the grace, the um, poise, um, the positive um, uh, knowledge of how to approach a difficult situation and make it come out for the better, not for the worse. And there are plenty of places you can go to learn it. Um, Yeah, so I I guess I think of this just as a courtesy that we offer to other people, even if that courtesy wasn't offered to me. And I remember being on a unit where there was a lot of um, uh, factions. There were, there were groups that were on this side of an issue and groups on that side of the issue, and then there was always a handful of people in the middle who just wanted it all to go away. And um, I think I lost my tra- train of thought here, what I was going to say. But um, basically knowing that even if other people are not... Uh, Uh, behaving appropriately in that kind of a situation. It just takes one person to stand up and show how it could be done. And when you see that it can be effective uh, doing it that way, I think uh, many times that um, there is the feeling that uh, it can be resolved and that you can learn from what it is they're doing. And I've, I've had many people that were able to teach me some of the things I've learned Um, so the other thing that, um, Dave Ball mentioned and something I thought of before, but I hadn't really thought about it in a while. And that was to not assume that doctors know what it is that you do for your patients. Um, they are trained so differently, uh, more to an academic bent, uh, to be able to diagnose and look at the overall medical planning. They have their own lane of expertise and often, 
uh, and rarely really know unless they've started out as a nurse if they started out in some of those ways um, being able to uh, show uh, that they do understand where the nurse is coming from and show respect to to the nurse for that. So again, if, if they are not respecting you, you need to show them what respect looks like as much as you can to be able to respond to them in a way that lets them know it's not okay for them to treat you inappropriately or um, denigrate in any way. Show them you know what you're talking about. And that's often the thing that will win them over is feeling that uh, you're not wasting their time, that you actually do know, and that you may have some important information they don't have, um, partly because you spend so much time with the patient. So be kind to yourself and be kind to other people too. Just wanted to add one more thing. Um, As much as I enjoyed that conversation with Dave Ball, uh, it was actually a national public radio show uh, called On Being that I listened to on um, Sunday morning. Uh, that was uh, uh, a show with a peace reconciliation specialist in Northern Ireland. His name is pa- Padraig Tuma. And um, what really caught my conflict resolution interest is he was talking about what it was like to grow up Catholic and confused in Ireland. Uh, during the time that there was so much violence going on in Northern Ireland. And he told a story about how uh, many times we speak negatively or derogatorily about some aspect of people who are what we consider other Mm. when we think that no one from that group is present in our group. And he mentioned a boy who disappeared suddenly from a Catholic school that he had been attending for a period of time. And the gossip was that he was really a Protestant of all things, uh, you know, uh, uh, an enemy amongst our midst. And the sense of vulnerability and shock of the others was intense, and they felt duped, and they felt um, he had invaded um, their territory. But how many times do we use our words um, or use words that we unconsciously have no idea could be um, harmful? And we're actually what, what I used to call bruising uh, people we're talking to when they maybe are the other that we are talking about uh, not knowing, uh, whether it's a coworker or a patient. So this is one of the things I did with my nursing students was I gave them permission to let me know if I had inadvertently bruised them in something I was saying. And many times they found it difficult to come back and say, yeah, you really did. But by giving them permission and allowing them to come to me personally or email me or however they wanted to handle it, um, it did make a big difference in being able to realize I needed to learn um, that what I was saying could be harmful And certainly, I had no intent to be able to um, really denigrate anyone. It's just ignorance that I didn't know maybe that aspect of them, but also um, ignorance in general that that maybe what I was saying, I needed some some learning, some teaching, uh, some education on it to realize that I was was in the wrong. So we're going to go to break here. Uh, Just take a couple of minutes here, and then we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I am talking about bits and pieces of thought I've had over the last couple of months. (music) 
your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. We are here for the last segment of our show today. Um, and I'm, I'm um, speaking today basically about bits and pieces of, of things that have been on my mind over the last few months. So um, I had just been speaking about uh, a, a conversation I had with Dave Ball regarding conflict in nursing. And so um, I'm going to keep on the same track here for a minute. Um Excuse me. So I was delighted with the conversation that I had with Dr. Paul T. Clements uh, on February 11th. And we were discussing multi-generational nursing teams, which I always find to be pretty interesting. And um, he talked about that a generation is more about what the experiences are, uh, the shared experiences of that generation rather than just a certain number of years or age. 
And uh, he used uh, the experience of calling uh, calling in a nurse to cover an extra shift. So somebody is called off, and they need somebody needs to call and find somebody to come in. And what he said is kind of based on how those generations tended to react. Uh, veterans, or what's called traditionals, uh, from the World War II generation, uh, and baby boomers. I think I um, let's see here. Yeah, okay, uh, I was going to start, I guess I jumped ahead here. Uh, I wanted to mention, he talked about six different uh, generations. And um, he talked about the veterans or tra- traditionals who were from the World World War II generation. And many people might think, well, they're not still in the workplace. But you'd be surprised how many people are still uh, working, maybe not, uh, certainly not on the floors, but in other aspects of nursing care. In um, many types of uh, organizations, uh, especially larger organizations uh, in acute care. So uh, baby boomers we're all familiar with, uh, who came right after World War II and up to about the mid-60s, I think 64. And then the X and Y generation, initially they were two separate, but as things have gone on, it seems like they've been put together a little bit more, partly because they do have seem to have quite a lot of similarities And then the millennials, which we're becoming even more familiar with as they're entering the workforce, um, and I shouldn't say entering, it's probably more they've been here for a while, and we're starting to get a little bit more used to them. Uh, The millennials uh, tend to have been people who were hugely impacted uh, by 9-11. They were probably in their younger years or teenage years at the point that that happened. And then the Z generation is the one that many people haven't heard of or uh, haven't heard much about it. And that's literally spelled Z-E-E. It's also called the I generation for iPhone. So that's like glued to them at birth, I think. And then um, the Homeland generation referring to Homeland Security. And that comes out of the fact that they have never lived in a time that has not been at war. Uh, That's kind of amazing when you think about that. And then he talked about, you know, the cuspers, where the people who are um, near one end of a generation or another can tend to have um, attributes of both generations. And then, of course, people who don't fit, um, they they themselves as an individual don't fit in any or perhaps the generation that their their birth date fits them into and uh, might be much more associated with like the veterans than they would be, say, the millennials. So uh, keeping in mind as you are working with people that nobody fits all of the, the uh, stereotypes. So one of the things he talked about, and he's a very, very funny, very interesting um, speaker, And so it was really interesting. So that's where I wanted to put in that he used the uh, example of what might happen or what each of these generation um, people might be expected to do when they're called in on uh, to take up another shift. So he said the veterans uh, would probably have turned their lives inside out and upside down to get there as quickly as possible. So no matter what was going on, if they were called, they would say, oh, I must be needed and they would go. The boomers might say, call me back if you can't can't find anybody else to do it. Uh, Not wanting to compromise the care, but not necessarily wanting to drop everything and run in. 
Also, he mentioned, and I hadn't thought about it because I am a boomer and it happened during my generation, so I didn't think about it. Uh, boomers were also in that generation that were called band-aided overtime, or I think he meant mandated overtime. Uh, basically, if you were not um, relieved, if the person who was supposed to follow you did not come, come in, you were not allowed to leave until you were relieved by another nurse. So um, X and Y generations uh, who grew up in the era of Enron and all sorts of corruption and also watched their parents being laid off after years of dedicated service to whatever work, their response might be, how much will you pay me to come in extra? And many times boomers would look at this negatively, uh, but more you know, the boomers would tend to say, oh, well, they just want the money. They're, um, they're not really interested in patient care. But the reality, it doesn't have to be separate. They were willing to come in, but they wanted to know how they might be appreciated for, for doing this act um, and wanted to be able to take care of patients well. So um, I think actually when the boomers started complaining about that aspect of the X and Y generation, they started to uh, admire them for standing up for themselves and saying, no, I need to know that there, there will be some kind of a, an appreciation or an extra remuneration for my coming in. And, and then very shortly, there were all kinds of different um, uh, programs or uh, policies that were set in place that people could get extra uh, if they had come in on an extra shift. Uh, for many of us, it made it much easier to take that shift. So uh, millennials, they were say- he was saying, uh, are likely to say, sorry, I have plans, maybe next time, and not be willing to even consider changing the plans. And I had to laugh when I heard him say that because I actually had run into that with a millennial um, not very long ago. And I, I my baby boomer, boomer self was actually shocked Um, especially if it was somebody that was looking for a job and um, being able to say, nope, I'm going to let this one go by and and, uh, I'll I'll see what comes up after that. So, but um, millennials tend to have the philosophy there. They don't work to live. um, uh, I take it back. They work to live rather than live to work. Uh, So working is not their focus. Their focus is on self-care, family, and many different life choices. So um, he didn't mention what the Z generation might do in that situation. And um, so I'm not going to say anything about it because actually the Z generation started coming into the workplace after I left. So Dr. Clements talked about baby boomers and how they're, they're tending to stay in their place of employment as long as they physically can due to the recession and its impact on their retirement income. And with the rapid increase of millennials getting advanced degrees, boomers are sometimes dealing with having bosses and administrators who are considerably younger than themselves. Um, my reaction to getting a, to going to get a BSN after having been a diploma graduate was, why do I need to go for four years of education to um, prove that I can do what I've been doing for, I think it was like 15 or 20 years, real negative. And then after getting my BSN, I had a much better comprehension of why that was an important education to get. So millennial and baby boomers prefer to communicate differently from each other. Boomers want to talk with the boss, probably face-to-face or at the very least by phone. 
when something has to be discussed that's maybe personal or whatever. And millennials seem to really, uh, who are now actually part of the larger group, uh, don't seem the point of coming in to talk. And so it's just sort of send me a text or send me an email. Um, policies now actually uh, require that you must interact with your boss in person when requested. <laughs> I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, and admi- administration gets permission uh, at the time of hi- hire to peruse people's Facebook pages um, to make sure that they're not going to regret the decision they're making about this individual. Um, there's a tendency now with the X, Y, and millennial generations that they're much less willing to do a double or what we used to do called a double back, where you do a double and then come sleep for one shift and then come back the, the following shift. Um, uh, millennials and uh, X and Y generation seem to feel that they don't want to get sick and they know from their parents' experience it's not going to be appreciated anyway. So the millennials expect to be involved in decision-making on the unit. Um, One thing I thought was intriguing is that the millennials are tending to wait longer to marry. And a big impact of that is because of the recession and their difficulty in getting jobs and getting started uh, in their profession and financially getting stable. So they've been waiting longer. As a consequence, they tend to have a a much uh, lower divorce rate. The baby boomers' divorce rate, he said, at one point was 70%. I was really astounded at that. Um, And they're tending to work longer. We we talked about that before. So it could make it difficult for younger people to get uh, advanced jobs. Uh, He talked about the Z generation being the generation of uh, of the iPhone and apps. They believe everything should be on an app and are are very good uh, many times at creating apps. So um, uh, kind of that was sort of the the rest of it. He talked a little bit about bullying and the fact that um, older nurses tend to want to bully people coming in that don't have the experience they have but have book knowledge that maybe the older generation didn't get quite as much of. So um, the thing that really did surprise me is that he said in four years, the millennial generation will account for half of all employees in our country. And that really astounded me. I am at the end of this uh, session. And so I am going to uh, uh, go ahead and come to a close here. It seems like a good place to do it. Uh, I just, again, wanted to thank you all for listening. I do encourage you to contact me if you're on LinkedIn and you know of somebody that has a great story or career, uh, somebody that uh, would like to share some information with me, please feel free to do that either on LinkedIn by asking to be uh, connected to me or um, on my email, which is leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Thank you so much and join us next week. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.